So I, I told the last service this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this as well. I'm just going to go ahead and get all up in your business right from the very beginning. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Ain't got time to waste with you this morning. I'm going to go ahead and just, just tell you what I think God's word says, how I feel about it. And this is probably, if, if any of you are going to the seminary, this is not the best way to start a sermon. So just note that, file it away. Don't try to replicate this. I just feel like I've got I to jump into it. Here's, here's the deal. I, I believe this is what God's word wants to tell us today. You have a problem. Here's your problem. You know what God's word says, you just don't do it. That's your problem. I was expecting them that you just gave right there. I, I, I know there are some of you who readily receive that and accept it. You would, you would say, yes, true of me. Then there's a whole bunch of you going, that ain't true of me. I don't know what you're talking about. So I want to go ahead and prove it to you. If you're watching online, uh, you're just going to have to just, I'm going to tell you what's going on in the room. You won't know it. But we're going to do a little poll here. But do me a favor. Don't raise your hand until the very end if it's true of you because uh, I don't want you to embarrass yourself. So we're just going to go through. I'm going to ask you a series of questions that I want you to see whether this is true or not of you. So here's the first question. Do you know that the word of God says that you should not be quick-tempered or easily angered, yet you still get angry all the time? Is this true of you? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't do it. Don't embarrass yourself. Is this true of you, though? Next, next question. Do you know the Bible says you shouldn't lust, and yet your mind is constantly filled with lustful thoughts? Do you know the Bible says you shouldn't judge others, and yet you find judgment coming out of your mind and mouth all the time? Do you know the Bible says... Do not be anxious, give it over to the Lord, and yet you keep holding on, letting anxiety just fester inside of you, and you park in it over and over and over again. Do you know the Word of God says that you should do to others what you would want them to do to you, treat them the way you want to be treated, in other words, like respect and honor, and yet you find somebody who's got different political views than you, different religious views, or kind of just makes you angry, and you don't treat them the way that you want to be treated? Are there people that you know you should forgive but you just don't want to forgive them, even though you know God's word says to forgive them as you have been forgiven. So here's my question for you. If any of those are true, would you mind raising your hand to confess it is true of you? Okay, you can't see it. This is the majority of them. Okay, put your hands down. If you didn't raise your hand, do you know the Bible says thou shalt not lie, and you just <laughs> lied in church? So you got to raise your hand now. I mean, it's it's all of us. We, we struggle with this. We, we know what we ought to do, and we just don't do it. There's a gap between our knowledge of God's word and our obedience. And, and I, I think my, my greatest fear is that we just don't understand how dangerous that is, how we're playing with fire when we, do, when we know what God tells us to do and we just don't do it. In fact, I, I want to tell you today, this is when we choose to do this, know the commands of Christ and then disobey them, we are standing against the very character and nature of Jesus Christ himself. So we're entering into our 12th and final characteristic of Jesus. Uh, if you are a guest, first of all, I'm so glad you chose to be here with us this morning. Uh, grateful that you came. I'm sorry it's like a judgment spewing day. Uh, it'll get better as it goes on. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Please give me another chance. Don't just turn the TV off. Just keep watching. I, I think, think God wants to say something, but... But before we step into it, this, this 12th and final characteristic needs to be seen in light of the other 11. So if you haven't seen the other 11 or heard of them, go back and watch the other 11. Listen to what God is doing because he's telling us all these character traits of Jesus. But this final one is probably the most abrasive. Here's what it is. You can write it down. Jesus expected complete obedience 
from his followers. Go, go ahead and, and write that down. Jesus, if you think about his character, not only did he fully obey his father, but he expected complete and immediate obedience from his followers. He didn't call for wishy-washy followers who would pick and choose what they wanted to do and what they didn't want to do. He says, you got to pick up your cross, deny yourself, come follow me. I want people who are going to give everything to me. He expected complete obedience from his followers. In fact, I'm gonna, we're going to go through a, a splattering of passages of Scripture. We're going to move pretty quickly, so you may not want to try to keep up unless you're like Bible drill person. You can. That's cool. But we're going to look at about seven different passages really quickly that are going to show you just how often Jesus spoke this. I'm not even looking at all the verses. I'm just trying to go through a few. The first one is in Luke chapter 8. Listen to what he says in verses 19 through 21. It says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He goes, you want to know who my true family is? My true family, the people who actually do what the word of God says, that's my real people. Then you go over two chapters, three chapters, excuse me, chapter 11. Listen to verses 27 to 28. It says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know where true blessing comes from? Not people who just know what God's word says, but who actually put it into practice. I mean, they're all over the Gospels. I could dig into other ones, but I want you to flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. In John 13, this was a verse that we read last week. If you remember, it was in the context of, of washing the disciples' feet, putting the towel around his waist, calling them to do the same. And in verse 17, he said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, it's not enough to know them. The blessing comes in doing it, obedience. Now listen to this. You're about to get rapid fire in chapter 14. Listen to how many times he equates obedience with following Jesus. John 14, 15 says... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. No ambiguity. If you love me, it'll come into obedience. Then you skip down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Then you flip, flip over to verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's no ambiguity over and over and over again. You love me, you obey me. You go over to chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, you see what I did. My character was to obey the Lord, keep the commandments of the Father. Therefore, you should do the same thing for me. His expectations are clear. You go over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. I'm almost done. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When it says this is the love of God, this means this is the love toward God. This is how we express love toward God. We obey him. Not because God is mean, but because his, his commands are not a burden. They're good for us. 2 John, verse 6, last one. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. I just scratched the surface of all the different times that Jesus makes it and the scriptures make it so clear. He's saying it doesn't matter if you say you love Jesus unless you actually obey him because it's just not true until you obey him. Now, maybe you hear that and you go, okay, but why? Why is obedience so important to Jesus? Why does that matter? Why do I have to obey him to express my love to him? Why can't I do it in other ways? I think if you're a parent, you understand the implications between obedience and a feeling of love. 
when your child obeys you, it feels loving. When they disobey you, it feels very unloving. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. So many of you in the church know my son Max. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing young man. But let, let's just imagine that I, I said to Max, I walked up to his room, and it was just a, a pigsty. Just, just imagine that, Max. That it's just, he's right over here going, no, it's not. I cleaned it up. But let's just imagine it's a pigsty. And I walk in there and go, holy cow, Max, your room is a wreck. Brother, clean your room. And imagine, I, I, he says, okay, Daddy. And I, I walk downstairs, and, you know, we live, his room's upstairs. We spend most of the time downstairs. So just imagine a month later, I go up to his room, and it's still a wreck. In fact, it's gotten worse. He hadn't done anything. How do you think I would feel if I said to him, Max, what's going on? And Max said, Daddy, I have been chewing on your command over the last month. I've just, I've memorized the clean your room. I, it is it is a powerful command, Daddy. I, I have, I've just been, in fact, I, I thought it was such an important command, I should really dig into that command. And so I parsed the sentence out, and I, I looked at the original language, and I noticed uh, that the word clean, that that, that was a, an aorist imperative mood, and it, that just, it was so direct, that command, Daddy, that you gave me was so good. And then I noticed the next word, as I looked into his possessive pronoun, it was, it was my room. And you were clarifying, I didn't have to clean Lulu's room. I didn't have to clean Abby's room. I had to clean my room. Thank you, Daddy, for that clarity. And then I looked at the last word, room, and I noticed the way you limited the spatial dimension to keep it just to my room and not the entire house. And I was just, I was blown away. Daddy, that command was so rich. I memorized it in Greek and in Hebrew and Spanish and in Portuguese and Russian. Because I want to tell the world your great commands. Daddy, your commands are beautiful. I love them. So let me ask you a question. You think I'm going to be impressed that my son memorized my command, is telling the world my command, if he doesn't do what I told him to do? No, not in your life. Neither would you. By the way, neither is God. When we know what his commands say, and we just don't do them. He is not impressed that we know what the Bible says. He's not impressed if we learn the original languages. He's not impressed that we go to BSF and we study. He's not impressed that we read the Bible every morning. He's not impressed with our knowledge. He's impressed when we put that knowledge into practice, when we do what the Word of God says we're supposed to do. And I think this is where our problem is. The gap between what we know and what we obey is so great that I think our Father is just plain tired of it. I know, I know this is a heavy sermon. And I know I can sound all condemning up here, but let me go ahead and just confess to you guys. I am way worse off than you are. I am not going to throw a single stone at you because I'd have 100,000 coming back at me. Because you do realize my life calling is to know this book, right? I've gone to seminary. I actually can read it in Greek and Hebrew. I, I, I geek out over parsing sentences and verbs and all that kind of stuff. I, I do look at all that kind of stuff. I know this word probably more than the majority of you in this room, which only means the gap between what I know and what I obey is far greater than yours. So I am not about to try to condemn you guys because I'd be heaping so much more condemnation on myself. What I'm here to do isn't to, to beat you down, it's to help us out because what I believe, what God has been showing me is that we stand to miss so much if we don't obey his commands. The ones who miss out is us. In fact, Jesus, he does such a phenomenal job in Luke chapter 6. We're really going to dig into Luke 6. So I want you to go ahead and, and turn to the gospel of Luke. Find chapter 6. We're going to dig in because I think he does a phenomenal job telling us right here. All that we stand to gain when we obey and all that we stand to lose when we don't. 
Now, before we, we dive into Luke 6, we're going to be in verse 46 in a moment. Let me go ahead and give you some background. So Jesus, he's brought out the hammer. This is the Lucan version of the Sermon on the Mount. And he is calling out their hypocrisy over and over and over again. He starts off with that famous, why are you so worried about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a stinking plank hanging out of your own eye? He's just calling out their hypocrisy. Then he moves to the next part and he says, you guys think you're good, but you produce bad fruit. Wake up, bad trees produce bad fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. He's calling all of them a bunch of rejects at that moment. He said, look at the fruit. You'll see who you really are. He's calling out their hypocrisy. But then he really gets to the jugular, and that's in verse 46, where he really calls out the hypocrisy. Luke 6, 46, listen to what he says. One verse, so powerful. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You call me Lord, but you don't even obey me. You don't even do what I tell you to do. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't get to call me Lord unless you do what I say. You know, the Lord, the word Lord in Greek, it literally means master. The master is the one calling the shots. And he's saying, if you're not letting me call the shots, then I'm not really your Lord, no matter what you say. Those are words we need to be chewing on 2,000 years later. That we think we're okay because we say Jesus is Lord because we prayed some kind of prayer when we were a kid. We said, no, no, I prayed the prayer. Jesus is Lord. I mean, he's, he's my Lord. He's going, I don't care what kind of prayer you pray. I don't care if you... He said, I don't care if you wrote it out 100,000 times. If you don't actually let me be Lord, then I'm not really your Lord. He's calling this out not because Jesus, he's mean. If you know anything about Jesus, he's not, he's not going like to rub our noses in the dirt. He's, trying, he's not trying to make us hurt. What he's trying to do is show us how dangerous it is to know the commands of Christ and not obey them. And in the next three verses, he gives us an illustration that shows us all that we stand to gain, all that we stand to lose. Let me keep reading. Verse 47. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Very simple illustration. He's saying, here's two different people who built two different houses, but they're undergoing the exact same scenario. Rains have come. The flood has come against those houses. One survives. One crumbles. Now, I'm going to do a little bunny trail right here. I hope you'll just track with me on this one. I think he's trying to tell us something real subtly. What he's trying to tell us is that every single one of us will have moments in our lives when we are going to feel like we're drowning, when there is a flood coming. Every single one of us lives in a floodplain. We just maybe don't know it. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this. If you're watching online, you don't live in Arlington, you probably wouldn't. But those of you who, who live in Arlington may be familiar with Dunn Elementary. And, and if you go down the street, there's a park over there called Clarence Foster Park. It's, uh, it's pretty close by and just a few, few miles away. But that park used to have a whole bunch of houses around it that are no longer there. This was a little over a decade ago. There was... Houses that were running along the creek over there, but it rained a number of days one after the other to the point that the water rose up and it entered into all those houses. And all of a sudden, people who had been living there for decades realized they were living in a floodplain. They didn't even know it. And all those houses had to be demolished. And now the park just got bigger because they couldn't rebuild the homes there because they realized they're living in a floodplain. 
that had been years of sunshine or maybe just some light rains. They never felt like they were in danger until the full rains came, the flood came, and they realized where they were living. Well, Jesus is trying to tell us, guys, it may not look like you're living in a floodplain. It may be all bright and sunshiny, or maybe there's just some, a little bit of rain, but he's saying there is a day coming when the flood is going to overwhelm you. Will you be ready? There are some of you here this morning. I know it. I was praying for you guys on Friday. There are some of you here this morning, and you are right in the middle of the flood. You're here this morning, and you're praying for God to move. You're watching online right now, and one of the reasons you're watching is because you're begging God to move because you feel like you're drowning right now. You're drowning. Maybe you're drowning in debt, and you don't know how to get out of it, and you're overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like you're drowning right now because life feels so out of control and discombobulated. Your, your marriage feels like it's, it's just holding on by a thread or there's some sickness that you're dealing with or someone that you love is dealing with and it's overwhelming you. Maybe you lost somebody that you love and the, the weight of it is so overwhelming for you. You feel like you're drowning in it. There's something going on in your life right now that just has you feeling like, like you don't even know if you're going to survive it. You can't even catch a breath. Listen, if you're going through that right now, Jesus was trying to warn you because you're going to come. If you're not that way, if you've never been that way, go ahead and buckle up because the floods are coming. Every one of us lives in a floodplain, and sooner or later, the floods will come. The real question isn't, are we going to be in a flood? The real question is, are we going to be ready when the flood comes? And Jesus told us there is a way to be ready, and the way is very simple. The way is obedience. The one who, who obeys me, who hears my word and does it, is the one who built the right foundation on the rock. It was lifted up. The waters came and that house was not taken away. The one who disobeys me is the one who doesn't have a foundation and that house crumbles. So the secret to handling the floods that come is obedience. Which maybe you're going, why in the world is obedience? Why, why is that the key for us? What's well, real simple. The one person in the universe who actually knows what's going on is the one telling us what to do. So when we obey him, we come under the wisdom of the one who actually can call the shots. That's why. Here's what I want you to get. Our obedience is just as much for our sake as it is for God's sake. I think so often we dismiss it. We look at obedience going, well, you know, I, I can maybe, maybe not. I know I should be a better Christian, but it's just hard for me. When actually obedience is just the means to survive. It's, it's the way of life. I know you guys know this. I know you know that our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I know you know that our God is omniscient. He knows everything. I know you believe that our God is a God of love. But if you just connect all the dots, just for a moment, wouldn't you be able to see that if he's a God who knows the future, I mean, you, you do realize that, right? Like God is already in the future right now. He's not confined by space and time. He's, he's in the future. He's in the past. He's in the present. He knows exactly what's going to happen. God knows all the ripple effects of every decision that we make. I don't know if you've ever seen like a time travel movie. You know, you go back in time. If you do this, well, it creates this ripple effect. You know, it's back to the future and you, you get the little guide and you, you start betting on people and you win and it totally adjusts. Biff now owns everything. It's like all crazy. Like, you know, our decisions have ripple effects. We, we know that. We just don't know what's going to turn out when we make a decision. Well, here's the crazy thing. God knows every single result of every decision that we make. He knows exactly how it's all going to turn out. And this infinite God who loves us is telling us what to do. Why wouldn't we obey him? Even when it doesn't make sense. Because we know God knows what he's doing. He's the only one who knows what he's doing. What I love about this story 
is that when, when Jesus came in and gave him this hard word in Luke chapter 6, it actually came on the hills of Luke chapter 5. He's talking to his disciples, and he had just given a few of them a glimpse of how important it is to obey him, even if it doesn't make sense. I want you to flip over to Luke 5. Go to just the chapter before. I want you to see a story of what took place with Peter specifically. In chapter 5, in the first few verses, I want to read the context for you so you can see what's about to take place. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, now pause right there for a second. Okay, so, so here's the situation, the scenario. You, you got Peter. Peter, if you know anything about his story, he is a professional fisherman. That's his job. More than likely back then, I mean, you were a fisherman because your daddy was a fisherman, your granddaddy was a fisherman. It was a, it was a family business. If anyone knew how to fish and when to fish, he was Peter. This is why he was fishing all night before, because he knew that the, the fish in Galilee, the, the Sea of Galilee, they, they would bite most often at night. They would cast in their nets, and they would pull in fish. You would go into the deep. You would throw them deep. You would pull up the, the net, and you would catch some fish. That's how you would make your livelihood. He knew exactly how to fish. And here comes this dude, Jesus, and he is a homeless traveling rabbi, and he comes up to Peter, and he says, hey, hey, brother, go ahead, and, go ahead and pull out a little bit and throw your nets in. Now, Peter knows this is the dumbest idea in the history of ideas when it comes to fishing for, for multiple reasons. One, it was a complete wrong time of day. He would, he would fish primarily at night and in the early morning when it was still dark because that's when the fish would come up to the top. When the sun came out, the fish would go back into the deep and you couldn't catch them. So you were supposed to do it at night. He'd already been out night at night fishing. He hadn't caught a thing. And the second problem is he's in the boat. There's this massive crowd. Fish are scared of people. So you get, you get a big old crowd. They're putting their feet in the, the water. They're going deep, 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 deep down. This is the wrong time to do it when there's, there's hundreds of people over there listening to Jesus teach in the boat. It made no sense to do it. Peter knew it made no sense to do it. And yet he obeys. Now, I don't know why he obeys. It doesn't tell us in the scriptures why he does it. My only guess can be he had just sat there hearing this man Jesus teaching, was overwhelmed by his teaching to the point that he thought he'd go ahead and roll the dice and see what happened. So let's go back to verse 5. You know the story, many of you. Let's see what it says. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought the their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here at this, this moment of faith, this crucible, this doesn't make any sense. This guy named Jesus is telling me what to do, and I've got to decide, am I going to obey him or am I not? And Peter, crazy of all crazy things, says, I'm just going to go ahead and obey you, even if it doesn't make sense, throws in the net, and he sees the power of Almighty God. And he learns, and the other disciples around him learn, that only a fool would disobey the king of the universe. Because when the king says, throw in your net, you throw in your net. 
And you see the power and the miracles of Almighty God. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we need to say, Lord, Lord, because he's our master and do what he says, not because he wants to punish us, not because he wants to make life hard, but because he wants to bless us. Are you willing to trust him enough to obey? Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to just go ahead and state the obvious right now. For like 99.9% .9 of you, I have not told you a single new thing this whole sermon thus far. Every single one of you knows you're supposed to obey the Lord. Every single one of you knows that he's infinite God and that you're not and it would make more sense to trust him than yourself. You know you're supposed to obey God. But let me go ahead and go back to what I said at the beginning. But we still don't do it. We know we're supposed to walk in obedience, but we don't obey him. And I think we've got to come back to the question, why not? Why don't we obey him? It's not rocket science. The answer is actually very simple. It's because obedience is really stinking hard. That's why we don't do it. Obedience is hard, especially when he calls us to do things that look like they're going to be worse off for us than if we didn't do them. When it, when it doesn't make sense to us, that's when obedience gets really, really hard. So there are some of you in this room, and God is calling you to do some things that you just don't want to do. There's some of you watching online. God is calling you to do something you just don't want to do. Some of you, it's to be radically generous. God is calling you to give to the church, to give to the cause of Christ, to, to help a family out who's in need. And it just doesn't make sense. Maybe you've been taken advantage of before and you're going, I don't, I don't want to help them out because I just take advantage of me if I do. Or, or maybe you're looking at your bank statement and you're going, I don't have enough money to provide for myself, much less to give to somebody else. How am I going to be generous? And it doesn't make sense. And the moment it doesn't make sense, that's when it gets hard. There are some of you right now, God is calling you to bring a child into your home through foster care or adoption. You know it. You've been wrestling with this. You won't even tell your spouse you're so scared to death of it. You know what God's calling you to do, but you, you look at the cost. You look at the disruption. You look at the difficulty, and you're going, I just, man, that just sounds so hard. See, when you, when you look at it in the light of day, that's when obedience starts to get really, really complicated. There are some of you, God is calling you to forgive somebody that's hurt you, hurt you deeply. They, they've hurt you, and you're, you're, you know that if you forgive them, they're just going to get off the hook. I mean, they're not going to pay for the, con the, the consequences of what they've done. They're, they're just going to go hurt somebody else. No, you can't forgive them. It doesn't make sense to forgive them. Yet you know God's word tells you to forgive them. You see, when it, when it doesn't seem to make sense, that's when obedience is going to get hard. There are some of you right now that God is calling you to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God is calling you to be a part of planting a church. God is calling you to be open to go where he wants you to go. And every bit of you is wrestling against that. Because you go, I'm not good enough. I wouldn't know what to do. I can't leave my country. I can't leave this place. I can't leave my church. I can't leave my friends, my family, whatever. All these excuses. And when you look at it in the light of day, again, that's when obedience gets hard. Shoot, there, there's some of you last week that signed up to be a part of the, the children's ministry. In fact, let me just, I'm just going to pause for a second. I want to brag on our God just for a moment. Last week I shared with you guys the need of, of 100 volunteers in the children's ministry. And we asked the Lord to raise up those volunteers. As of yesterday afternoon, when we were asking for 100, which I thought was asking for a lot, there have been 224 people who filled out an application to be in the children's ministry. I've, I've never seen anything like it. I promise you, we've made a lot of requests. We've asked a lot of people to serve. I've never seen anything like it. Only God could do something like that. There's a number of you, 142 of them on this campus alone, and then the other campuses. 142, that means there's a lot of you in this room who said, here I am, God. I'm ready to tie the towel around my waist and do this. 
And on Sunday, you filled out the application. You were ready. Then you woke up on Monday and said, what in the world was I thinking? I can't do that. I'm already exhausted by the time I go to church on Sunday. I don't even like kids. Why did I even say yes to this? You see, you, you look at it in the light of day, and all of a sudden, it doesn't look so sexy. And that's when obedience gets hard. You know God is calling you to do it. You remember the call, but now you're looking at it going, I just don't know. Well, now, now I hear the number. They've got plenty of volunteers. They don't need me after all. When you don't realize how desperate we are, 100 was just all we thought we could get. <laughs> but we need more. God has brought what we need in you. And there's some of you going to be wrestling with it because obedience is hard. And here's what I want to ask you to do. As hard as it is, as unsure of it as you are, I want to, I want to call you to be obedient anyway. Even if you don't know how it's going to turn out, even if you don't know what it looks like, I'm going to call you to obey anyway. I'm not calling you to obedience because I don't like you. I love you. I was praying around this room on, on Friday morning just crying out for you because what I believe is that you are missing so much of what God wants to do. I'm not pushing you in obedience because I got some axe to grind or I get some kind of bonus for it. I believe that there are blessings on the other side of obedience that you're missing. There are nets full of fish on the other side of obedience. There are miracles on the other side of obedience. There's power and strength and beauty on the other side of obedience. And so many of you are missing it because you're not obeying what you know to be true. I want to call you to trust in the goodness of your God. You know, I, I think there was this one thought I had that just struck me between the eyes like a two by four. That was just, it was so powerful as I was chewing on this particular passage of Scripture. It's, it's the nature of obedience and disobedience. What I'm going to say doesn't sound true, but I promise you it is. Disobedience is just as much an act of faith as obedience is. I'm just putting my faith in myself instead of God. That's what disobedience is every single time. It is an act of faith. I mean, think about it. Every time I know the commands of Christ and I either ignore them or I choose to do something other than what he commands, I'm telling God with my actions in no uncertain words I believe that my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, God. Now, none of us is dumb enough to say that out loud. Now, we're, we're going to be quoting Isaiah 55, 9 like crazy. Oh, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. We'll quote it, but then our actions will prove the exact opposite. Every act of disobedience is just a result of thinking that my ways are better than God's ways, period. It's faith, but it's a poorly placed faith. Let, let's just compare the two. God has got a really good track record going. It's called perfection. He's never messed up when he told us what to do and we trusted him. Go ahead and look at your own track record. It's called train wreck. Whenever you call the shots in your own life, you keep screwing it up over and over and over again. I think it takes more faith to trust ourselves than it does God. But we do it again and again and again. And, and here's the reason why. I just think it's because we don't know who our God is. We've lost sight of who God is we got to go back to remember that our God is good, that our God knows the future, that our God is perfect. Because obedience, that's when we humble ourselves and we say, God, I now confess I'm going to trust you over myself. Your ways really are better than my ways. Your thoughts really are greater than my thoughts. And I humble myself before you and I trust you. Obedience is a beautiful act of humility. Maybe even more importantly than that, obedience is a beautiful act of love. 
Not, not necessarily us loving God, but us receiving the love of God. Because when we, are obeying, when we obey God, we are proving to God that we trust in his love. Because why wouldn't you trust a God who would take on flesh and be crucified on this earth for your sake? I mean, why wouldn't you? Who else is going to do that for you? This, this Friday, we're, we're going to have our Good Friday service, our virtual service, where I'm I want to encourage you to be a part of it. We're going to dig in deep to the cross of Jesus Christ. We do this every year. We, we look at some heavy videos. We really wrestle with what Jesus went through for our sake. And I, I, want, the, I want the gospel just to wash over you. Here is sinless, perfect God who takes on flesh so that he could live the life of obedience that you and I couldn't live. And then he went to a cross. He could have stopped it at any moment. You do realize that, right? The moment they started whipping his back, he could have snapped his finger, all of them dead. The, the moment they're driving the nails or trying to drive the nails into his hands and feet, he could have just made his body like iron and the, the nail would have just bent up, not made it through. He could have shown his power that way, but he didn't. He let him drive right through his flesh with a searing pain, blood dripping down from him. And he did it because he knew it's what we needed to be saved. And he hung on that cross and he absorbed all the wrath that we deserved. Every bit of the point where he's crying out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? If we have a God like that, why wouldn't we trust him? A God who would go to those links for us. Our obedience shows us that we know how much he loves us. So my question for you is, are you willing to trust him? In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And when we take the Lord's Supper, it's going to be a time for us to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I want to say something. This is when I can see it. I, every Sunday I see it. You start shifting in your seat. You're starting to put things back in your purse because you're, you're tuning out. It's ready to go. You're starting to close your Bible up. You're starting to get ready. You're shifting around because you're ready to, to get out of here. You've, you've done... You're, you're hard duty for the week and put up with me preaching and you're ready to be gone. And you're going to miss what God wants to do right now. I'm going to talk about this more on the Good Friday service that we're having virtually. But we can eat and drink judgment on ourselves if we take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. It says we need to examine ourselves. And so I want you to examine yourself before we get to the taking of the Lord's Supper. One of the ways that I want, to, I want you to examine yourself is to ask yourself, are there any places where I'm saying, Lord, Lord, but not actually letting him be Lord? Are there any places where I'm not obeying him? And what I mean by that is, are there any places in your life where, where you know that God is calling you to do something? You just haven't been willing to do it. Are there any places where you know God has told you not to do this thing, but you just keep on doing it? Are there places of disobedience in your life? And if there are, are you willing to confess them? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I trust you? I don't know why, I don't know how, I'm willing to trust you. If you want me to forgive that person, I don't understand why you want me to do that, but I'm willing to forgive them. If you want me to, to take that step into that ministry, God, I don't know why you want me to do it, but I'll do it. If you want me to give this thing away, God, I don't know why you want me to do it, but I'll do it. If you want me to make this life decision, if you want to move somewhere that I don't want to move, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go there. If you want, want me to stay, even though every bit of me wants to run, God, I'm going to stay. I'm going to trust you. 
whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do it because I trust you. Are you willing to obey him? I've prayed for you. I've prayed specifically the Spirit would bring to mind right now all the places that there might be disobedience in your life so that you can confess, so you can get rid of it, lay down at the feet of the cross. But before I do that, though, I want to say one, one thing that's so important. There is the greatest act of faith you need to take, the first step of obedience, and it's placing your faith in Jesus Christ with your whole life. And I believe there are some of you who are here, maybe you've been in the church for a long time, and you're quick to say, no, no, I believe Jesus is Lord. You look back to when you were a kid when you prayed that prayer and called him Lord and Savior. But if you were honest and you looked at your life, your life does not indicate that he is Lord. And I want you to wrestle with what he said in Luke 6.46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I believe there are some of you right now who have to recognize that he is not really your Lord, even though you prayed some prayer when you were a kid, even though you go to church, because if there's no obedience, he's not really your Lord. And there, there may come a moment when you just say, okay, I'm, I'm tired of walking in disobedience. Jesus, I need you to change my heart. I'm ready to walk in faith. If you are, then all you need to do is what you saw Peter do. I don't know if you noticed it. After he saw this great catch of fish, he says that he fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. He confessed his own sin before holy Jesus. He realized who he was. And that's the first step. You've got to recognize I'm a rebel. I'm not worthy of anything from Almighty God. I confess my sins. But he didn't stay there. Jesus said to him, no, no, no. Don't run from me. Run to me. I want you to be a fisher of men. And this is that Peter left everything and followed him. And I believe there are some of you in this room and you need to be willing to leave everything and follow him and find someone worthy of trusting. Maybe you've been scarred before by other people. Maybe you've been hurt by parents, hurt by a spouse, hurt by friends, and it's really hard for you to trust. Listen, you have a God who has never hurt you. He never will. But you gotta be willing to trust him. In a moment, there are gonna be pastors who are down front and if you're ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ and to trust him with everything, we want to help you take that step of faith. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you a, a little, uh, little secret that is not public knowledge right now. I guess it will be after I do it online. But next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to have a baptism celebration on Easter Sunday. I've been here for 17 years. I don't, I've never, we've never done it since I've been here. I don't know anybody who's been here that has ever seen here at Field or a baptism celebration on Easter Sunday. But what better day than the day of the resurrection to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection that we have with him? And I believe there may be some of you in this room, as crazy as it sounds, and you need to take a step of faith and be baptized on Easter Sunday. Listen, if that's you, and we want to know it, we want to help you take that step of faith. There are some of you who a while back you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but you've been disobedient on the first step. He says the first thing you need to do is declare your faith in me publicly. And you do that through baptism. And maybe you need to stop dragging your feet and finally get obedient and say, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. So we're going to have pastors who are down front who are ready to meet with you. But before I, I open this up, I want to have you stand in just a moment. Before I do that, let me say this. There are a number of you in this room. And as I mentioned before, you are going through the flood. You are overwhelmed right now in your life. You feel like you're drowning. I believe God wants to minister to you today and he's going to do it through prayer. So we're going to have pastors who are spread all over the front. If you are feeling in this morning like you, you're, there's something overwhelming you and you just need somebody to join faith with you and pray over you, we're going to be ready to grab your hands and pray over you. If, if you are in physical suffering and illness, you need some healing, 
We have anointing oil. We'll anoint you with oil according to James chapter 5 and pray over you and ask the Lord to heal you. I don't know what you're going through, but today is a day for you to be ministered to. So I want you to stand up, if you will, right now. I want to invite the pastors to come forward. If you need to say, Lord, this is my area, I've been disobedient, I need to repent, confess, you can do it, right? Well, you may want to get on your knees, right? Turn around in your seat, get on your knees. You may want to come down here and just bow down and say, I confess this is my area of disobedience, forgive me. I choose to obey. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to take that step of faith that you've been asking me to. Just tell it to him. Maybe you're ready today to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You're ready because you know you need to walk in faith. Then we'll be down here ready to help you as you take a step of faith and place your faith in Jesus. If you want to get baptized, let us know. We're ready to help you take that step of faith. Or if you just need prayer for anything going on in your life, we're ready to meet with you. The rest of you, prepare your hearts and now lead us in taking the Lord's Supper when the song is over.